am so excited to be able to share what I feel like God's given me for you tonight. Like Ben said, this is for you. It was birthed in this place. Some of it connects with my journey with God, but a lot of it really is just of what's in the atmosphere in this place. So I'm really excited, and I just can't wait to verbalize what I feel like is inside of me. And so it's kind of, um, I don't know if it'll be logical, but I believe that it'll be relevant. So I hope that this <laughs> makes sense. It will make sense if you grab it by the Spirit. Um, and I just loved um, when we uh, sat down with Pastor Ian and Pastor Tina about a month ago, um, and he told you this last night as well, Pastor Ian, said that he just wanted us to be us here and that what we carry, that we would release that here. And that is so freeing, so freeing, because there's so many good speakers out there, right? I mean, especially with our media explosion, you can just read a great, you can listen to a great message for every hour of the day and never run dry. I mean, there's so much good teaching out there. And we really just need people to be themselves. And you, who you are is important. And who, what message you have inside of you and what God's done in you is enough. So let's just stop the comparing of whatever person comes up here, grabs the microphone, or whoever you chat with, or you listen to online. Let's stop comparing yourself to them and just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when we see ourselves reflected back, I mean, I'm not bragging, but I fall in love with myself again and again and again. Like, I'm pretty awesome. When I look at him and what he sees in me, it's amazing. So I just set you free tonight to be you. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be me tonight. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into um, what I feel like God has for us tonight. Father, I thank you for your goodness. And I thank you that it's not up to me for you to be good. And that I don't have to prove that you're good. That you already did that once and for all. That Jesus, you gave yourself, willingly laying your life down once and for all. And your goodness rests in that one act that what you did, Jesus, is enough. And so tonight, we just dance and celebrate in your goodness. We feast on your goodness tonight. We thank you that the table is set before us, that no matter what's going on around us, that we get to feast with you. And so tonight, we just enter into your heart. We want to go deeper into you, God. We want to know you more. We want to know you more, God. We want to know you, you, God, you. We want to know you, you, God. Just reveal more of yourself tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So last night, if you were here, um, I gave a prophetic word that I saw in worship of a time capsule. And what I saw was for um, pastors here, um, and what I saw was that this time capsule was the promises of God that he had placed into this time capsule, buried in the ground, but watched over. Just like I said, as a, a, a baby develops in the mother's womb, that they don't just sit there and wait, and then all of a sudden, they pop out and they're alive, right? We know that they're alive and they're growing, being nurtured, being uh, warmed, like just 
loved on by the mother's body in the same way I just saw God watching over these promises, again, for your pastors, but I also saw that it was for all of you, that there are promises that God has spoken that God has released, whether prophetically, like you know someone said, I see God doing this in you, or I, I know that this is going to happen in your life, or I see that you having influence in this specific area, whatever kind of a thing. I just saw actual prophetic words being released to you that God has been watching over. And then I also saw just the desires of your heart, those dreams that you had when you were a kid. When I grow up, I want to be a missionary, or when I grow up, I want to be a teacher. Those things are real. And I just see God watching over those things. Then I saw this time capsule come up out of the ground and then explode like a rocket because then it would have full impact. And it was like in the fullness of time, those promises were released. And so... In my life, I have experienced that where I've had prophetic words, I've had desires of my heart that have been dormant, and that is not fun, right? (laughs) How many of you have experienced that where you have those words, those promises, and you think it's going to be tomorrow, and it's going to be like this, and then this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, then everything will just fall into place, and it'll be beautiful and glorious, right? When in reality, it feels like this, and even like taking a step backwards at times away from what it felt like those promises were going to be fulfilled in. So in my life, um, the main thing that I fought for and cried over was having a baby. And my husband and I, we were married two years, and we were like, all right, it's time. Let's have a baby. And it didn't happen. And it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. And I was devastated. All I wanted to do was be a mom. That was my, like, dream. And up until that point in my life, my plans had worked. Like, I said, I'm going to finish high school, and I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to finish it in four years, and then I'm going to get married right after college, and then we're going to be married for two years, and then we'll have kids, and there'll be four of them, and they'll be two years apart, and there'll be two boys and two girls, and I'll homeschool them, and we'll bake cookies together, and it'll be awesome. (laughs) Right? That was my, like, oh, that would be perfect, and maybe I would, like, sing and, like, play the piano at church, but I didn't know how much more there was. Not that being a mom is bad, but I was just letting that be it, and I wasn't open to anything else. And so walking through that journey was really painful. And every month, I felt like God gave me a present, and I opened it up, and it was empty. And I was so mad, I was sad, I was depressed, I was demonized, (laughs) like it was terrible, month to month to month. That disappointment was so hard for me to handle. And through it all, every month, I asked God, why? Okay, like being a mom, God, is that a bad thing? No. Am I seeking something really selfish? No. So why isn't it happening? And people are really thoughtful. Like, they have advice and ideas and prophetic words about this time next year you will have twins. And then that time next year I had nothing. And all of that is really hard to handle. Because, again, 
God had never let me down up until that point. I have a great home life. My parents are awesome. They're still married, and they love each other, and they love us. And we had a wonderful home growing up. And I can't remember not loving Jesus. Like, that's my story. I, at, For a long time, I thought that wasn't very good. Like, I really wanted to have the dramatic um, you know, life that was addictions and, like, almost dying or whatever. Like, I just wanted something dramatic. But for me, my life was I loved Jesus, and I couldn't imagine not loving him. My, my parents created this environment where we were free to love Jesus, and I wanted to. I wanted to love Jesus, and I did my whole life. I can't think of a time when I stepped away from him. So when I had this time where I was asking for a good thing, and it wasn't selfish, and I loved Ben, we loved each other, we wanted to have kids, like that was not a bad thing, and it didn't happen. I got really accusatory, and I was surprised at the things that were coming up out of me. So maybe it's just me, but um, I didn't know what to do with that. And so for a long time, I just stuffed it. I just said, oh, it's fine, it's okay. Other people don't have kids, and they're fine. I can do this, it'll be fine. No big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. <laughs> so that pushing down and that stuffing of that devastation, that just sorrow, it was just deep sorrow, was something that the enemy did take advantage of. And like I mentioned earlier, I didn't realize it, but one month when I, we weren't pregnant, I heard a voice come and say, oh, poor you. Can you believe that God's letting you down? And I didn't know, but it was the enemy accusing God and coming along with false comfort to say, oh, poor you. You're a victim. Like, he didn't use that word, but I was like, oh, right. Why is God treating me this way? Oh, I can't believe it. And again, it was kind of this subtle thing that I didn't even realize, but through the next just Fortunately, I'm so happy. Just like two months, I believed this lie. It was awful two months. But I had someone pray with me about this sadness that just wouldn't go away. And I realized that in that moment, I believed a lie. And so I repented, and I exhaled, and I felt this weight just come out as I exhaled. And I was so happy, again, that it was only two months that I dealt with that, but it was awful. So the next month, the same thing happened. We weren't pregnant. Doctors couldn't find any reason for it. This went on for one year, for two years. And if you've ever dealt with infertility, it's just crazy. Because, like, two weeks out of the month, you're like, maybe we'll be pregnant. And then the other two weeks, you're like, we're not pregnant. So it's just like this up, down, up, down, up, down, disappointment, joy. And so at some point, I just got numb. Like, why would I even hope for this? Because I keep getting disappointed. And that numbness didn't just isolate on not getting pregnant. Then I was numb in worship. Then I was numb in friendships. Then I was numb celebrating Christmas. Like, it just was like, what joy is there if I can't understand why this good thing is being dangled in front of me? I apologize, I'll probably cry, <laughs> but it culminated to this one moment where I was working in a coffee shop in rural Minnesota, where we were living at the time, flipping a sandwich on a panini grill, and in my head I said, God, I feel like you're a mean dad, 
and all you are doing is teasing me with being a mom, and every month you take it away. And when I said it, like in my mind, looking at that thought, I knew that it wasn't true. I knew that he was a good father. And in that moment, seeing that lie, how ugly it was and how false it was, it lost all power. And I just started sobbing, saying, I know you're a good father, even though I can't see it. And it was so amazingly freeing, yet at the same time so terrible because it was so sad that I couldn't see the understanding. I couldn't get a hold of what was going on. But in that moment, I had hope. And that was something I hadn't had true hope. I was kind of like, well, maybe it'll happen. Like, we'll see. But in that moment, I said, no, you're a good father. And you do not disappoint your children. And someone had told me, and I stood firm on this, that in the Bible, every woman that asked for a child, and you even shared a story of that today, that was barren, that didn't have a child, every single one was given a child. Every one. Isn't that amazing? So when we look at culture to bring comfort, which I did, oh, there are couples that don't have kids, it's fine. And please don't be condemned if this is your journey. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But what I saw was I had looked at these couples and said, I can be like them. I can be happy, it's fine. Instead of looking at what God was asking me to do, his promise for me was a child. And for me to say, no, no, it's okay, it's fine. It's, it's no big deal, I'll just, I'll be okay. Was me saying no to his promises. How sad. And when I saw his goodness, and at the same time knew that I was supposed to still keep my heart open to this promise, it was, again, the oddest feeling. Like, okay, I'm going to be fine, but how? I don't, I don't know, but I don't care. All I know is that God is good. And so then, from that point was about another year and a half of just knowing that God was good. And it was so sweet. I got to know God in a way that I never would have experienced before. Knowing God in circumstances that are devastating or circumstances that are not what you expect is so beautiful. And I just want to release that right now, that if you're in the middle of something that you're fighting for, a promise that's a good thing, whether it's for you or for someone that's really close to you, and you're in the not yet stage, get to know God there. Don't say, okay, God, when it comes then, I'll do whatever, I'll, I'll worship more, or I'll give you more, or I'll spend more time with you. Don't do that. His amazing presence in those moments is so rich, and no one can give that to you. Only you can cultivate that. And so that last year and a half, again, was so terrible because it was so devastating and heart-wrenching to keep my heart open to say, yes, I still want kids, yes, it's okay, but we don't have them yet. I got to know God in a beautiful way, and I treasure that, and I'm so grateful for that. So then at the end of our year and a half then, now it had been three and a half years of every month not getting pregnant and not knowing why physically, like there was nothing that was wrong, just, time, just three and a half years was crazy. That last month... Um, we had already then moved to Pennsylvania. Now this was 2007. We moved to Pennsylvania, started working for Global Awakening for Randy Clark in his ministry school. 
And at that time, he had a church, and it met on Sunday nights. And so in February 2008, they had a guest speaker, Todd White. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He was really unknown back then, 2008. He's from where we're from. And um, so he was just a guest speaker at the church. So at the end of his message, he says, all right, I have some words of knowledge. I really feel like um, God's going to give um, married couples here that don't have children, that want to have children. I feel like he's going to just bless you with children. So if that's you, stand up. Okay, if you've ever dealt with infertility, the worst thing is to be drawn attention to, right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Don't tell people, like, I don't want to be seen because then people come like, oh, my gosh, that's so sad. How about adoption? Like, adoption is so great. Or I had a friend, and they don't. It's just no fun at all. So he made us stand up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to stand up. But I'm going to do it because I follow the rules, and I'm a good person. And so I'm going to stand. And so we stood. And then... I don't know why, but he said, okay, now come forward and stand up front, and I will pray for you. Okay, if you've ever watched Todd White minister, he's a tiny bit ADD, just a little bit. And so then, he and he's super prophetic with words of knowledge, so then he gave like 20 words of knowledge. And so Ben and I were standing here like this. Well, he said, and then I also see this, and I see that. Come on forward, come on forward, and I'll pray for you. So then here we are standing right here, and I am so furious, really, furiously mad that I'm standing there about people will know that we don't have kids, and we want kids, and it's hard, and whatever. So then he says, all right, I'm going to pray for you. So he starts on the other end and prays for every person. (sighs) Comes to us, and we are the last people standing up there. Oh, my word. I had to forgive him a couple of times. So then, Ben just reminded me. He actually had to go get him to come and pray for us because he forgot. So then he came to us. I remember this part. He said, why are you guys up here again? And we were like, oh, my gosh, are you for real? Okay, well, um, you just said that you felt like God was going to bring children to couples that were married, and they were trying to get pregnant. Oh, that's right. Okay. It's already done. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. So I went home, and I was mad. And that's not really a good environment to make baby. I'm just saying. I was mad. I was not in faith. I was not in belief at that moment. So anyway, the next week, another guest speaker comes. And this woman we love. She was actually the first person healed at Toronto. We love her. She's so great. I'm with Carol Burke. Um, she was the first person that was healed, dying. The first person healed at Toronto, immediately healed. That was awesome. So anyway, she's one of the speakers. So she, same thing. I feel like God's giving couples that have been trying to get pregnant. They're married, and God wants to heal you. Come forward. Who does that? So we come forward, but I had grace for her because she's just this sweet old lady. She's so nice, and we've had different um, meetings with her. She's so sweet. So anyway, she prayed for us, and it was beautiful. It was so loving, and it was great. So then the next week, another person came in, and they were visiting one of their um, sisters who was a student, and they said, I just want to release a prophetic word here that global awakening is going to have babies that, that married couples are going to have babies and it's going to be a sign of the new things that are going to come for global awakening and i was like oh interesting okay we'll see and then the next week um i was at the school 
because uh, I work at the school. And one of the speakers, um, uh, what's his name? Charles Stock, pastor of Life Center. Um, he was one of the speakers, and I came and I brought him his check. That was my job. And he put his hand or arm around me, and he said, you know what? I just see God giving you and Ben a baby. And I was like, okay, for real? Like, is this for real? Are you, like, this is serious? Because he's like a really good dad, you know, and so I felt like I could be honest with him. He was like, oh, yeah, I just see that you and Ben love each other so much that God is just going to bless you with a baby. And I was like, okay, we'll see. And so <laughs> I told Ben about it, but so then the next morning I took a pregnancy test and it was positive. And I had never had a positive pregnancy test, and I didn't know what it was. And so I said, Ben, is this, what do you think? I don't know. Is this, what do you think this is? And he was like, I don't know. Look at the box. What does it say? And we're like, I don't know. I think it means that we're pregnant, but I'm not sure. And he was like, okay, but is it right? Like, maybe it's wrong. And I was like, I don't know. I've, this is the first time this has happened. And we just cried and held each other. And we're like, maybe we're pregnant. So then... We'd talk to some friends who were like, yes, if it's positive, you're pregnant. And so we were like, okay, we're pregnant. And we told everyone. We announced it at school. We announced it at church. We announced it everywhere. And we were so happy. And that was beautiful, a fulfillment of a promise. And our daughter, Zoe, which means life, is here. And she's going to turn eight in November. And she's amazing. Zoe, joy, delight. That's our beautiful daughter. Fulfillment of promises. But that journey to get there, oh my gosh, I would not wish it on anyone. <laughs> it's so awful. But what I see, like I said, I released this prophetic word earlier, is that those promises are from God. And so when, again, when I was saying no to them, I was saying no to God. And when he showed me that, it wrecked me. And I knew that I couldn't do this alone but that I was going to do it. I was going to go after these promises. And I want to look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 and see how some people handle promises and how God wants us to handle promises. And I love Leif Hetland. Have you guys heard of Leif Hetland? He's so awesome. I just heard him speak last week um, at a conference, and he called this the story of three sons including Jesus in this, because the father represents God. And so we can look at how the younger son handled promises, how the older son handled promises, and how Jesus handled promises. And so with the prodigal son, the younger son, um, let's just look at that real quick. Luke 15. Jesus was the best storyteller, wasn't he? I love it. And I love how he wasn't just telling stories, but he was awakening people's spirits and our spirits to be able to receive spiritual truth that we couldn't understand if he just told us. And so when you're telling stories to kids, make them spiritual. Like, let Holy Spirit inspire you to speak truth into their lives, that they're loved, that they're valued, that they have destiny, that their voice matters, that God loves them. Let that, that story time that you get with kids, whatever level it is, be motivated by Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. So it says here, verse 11, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now what I see with this younger son is that he knew he had a promise. And he couldn't wait. He couldn't let his father run the course of his life, build relationship with his father in the, in the meantime. But what I see with the prodigal son is what he was looking at. He was looking at the temporary. He wasn't looking at his father. He wasn't looking at this man that gave his life to provide for his son. He was looking at what he could spend his inheritance on for himself. And so I see that this is a picture of us when we look at our circumstances. Oh, God, if you would just fulfill this promise, then I would get to pay all my bills. Or, God, if you would just do what you promised, then I wouldn't have to suffer in this way. It's like about our comfort in the moment. And while God does that, that's not what his promises are for. That's what his goodness is for. That's what his provision is for. He already said our needs are met. Promises are for activating things that will bless people around us. That's really good. Promises are for us to be a blessing to those around us because our needs are already met in him. Right? We don't have to wait for promises to fulfill our needs. And that's what I see this prodigal, the younger son had his eyes on the temporary. He had his eyes on what he felt like he needed and took his eyes off of the father. So then he comes back. I'm going to skip down. You know that he came back and the father celebrated him when he returned. So beautiful. Celebrated him, like washed him from all of the sins that he had committed, came in brand new. Wow, God is so good with that. And then the older son comes in. He's in the field. He came, approached the house. He heard music and dancing. And verse 26 says, And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. Pay attention to how um, the son responds to his father. But he answered and said to his father, Look, and there's an exclamation point in my Bible. E. Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. Who's he looking at? Himself. I have been serving you. I have not neglected. I did everything right. I'm going to take a sidestep over here. I did everything right. My life was good. Why wasn't I having a baby? Like, I had friends, I had family that hadn't lived the right life, and they were having babies. Why wasn't I having a baby? Yep, those thoughts came into my mind. It's not very helpful. <laughs> but this is what he did. He said, I have been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And let's skip down to the father's response. Verse 31, he said to him, son, wow, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. And I'm going to stop right there. 
Some of us get so focused on our serving that we forget to celebrate. We get lost in the work. We get lost in the doing. That's so good. The things that the, ser- the older brother was doing was good. It was helpful. It wasn't like his younger son who had gone out and squandered. But the, y- the older son was looking at the promises as if they were far off and that he could never get to them. But they were right now. Right now. Some of us have promises that we're actually in. But we're just rejecting them because, no, that's for someone else. That's not for me. I have to serve. I have to be behind the scenes. Or I have to do what I've always been doing because that's what I always do. And God says, no, this is your time. Your time to step up. And this happened to me four years ago, I think. Um, when you're talking about writing the inner healing program, Randy Clark came to me and said, will you write this inner healing program for our online training course? And I was, okay, 31. And I thought, there's no way that I am qualified, I'm not old enough to do this, like ask somebody else. And I said no to Randy Clark. I did. I said no to him for a year. And then finally... I said, yes. That year was no fun. I realized that I did not believe who God said I was. And I was actually saying no to the promises that as a little girl, I loved Jesus and wanted more people to love him. What better way to do that than to set people free at a heart level, right? It's a no-brainer when you look at it from God's perspective. But I was looking at myself. No, I'll just do what I've always been doing. It's fine. I'm happy. Like, I don't need this. Darn right. I don't need that. I didn't need to do that. My needs were met. I had to say yes to be a blessing to other people. And so finally I said yes. 2012, the course was launched, and it's been going around the world ever since then. And I get emails and calls and like seeing people in person about the transformation that's taken place in them, about how they see Father God, how they see Jesus, and how they see Holy Spirit. It's so beautiful. That is a promise that God gave me that I was saying no to because I just wanted to serve God, and that was it. So we're going to talk about this a little bit. Okay, so that was the older son. He was looking at serving. So then let's look at Jesus. I love looking at Jesus. He's so amazing. So Jesus had his eyes on the Father. Always. I mean, how many times do we read that he spent some time away on his own so he could talk to the Father? He was Jesus. What did he need to talk to him about? Right? Like he had everything in him. He knew that eternal life was in knowing the Father. And keeping his eyes on the Father, he was able to walk every step without a misstep. He, every step was ordered, and every step was met with the promises of God and the fullness of time. It's so beautiful. Jesus, never sinning, never making a mistake, kept his eyes fixed on the Father. And we see that the enemy tried to delay those promises. We see even when he was an infant that there was an attack on his physical life, that Joseph, his earthly father, was warned in a dream, saved him. But then we see later 
that the enemy tried to bring fulfillment early, just like we saw with the younger son. We see when the enemy brought Jesus into the wilderness, when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, and the enemy came with temptation, he tried to bring fulfillment early. And it's amazing. Let's look at it really quick. Luke 4. I'm just going to skip through what the enemy said. So Jesus became hungry. That's need, right? We need physical food. I do. Anyone else need food? Okay. Jesus needed food. He was fully man, fully God. He became hungry. It says, verse 2, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That's no big deal, right? God had promised, Jesus had promises. He could have used those promises to fulfill his need. He, right there, in that moment, that was the temptation. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Like, there is more than what we need in the moment. And I'm not going to compromise the promises of God for that to happen. Next temptation, the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. How many of you ever think that's the craziest thing? Right? Like you would go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, worship me, and it will all be yours. It's just ridiculous. So Jesus sees right through it. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's that serving word right there. But then the last part here, it says, uh, verse 9, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I just feel the authority and the integrity in Jesus' words right there. Like, I trust him. I don't need to test him. I don't need to put his love on trial. Like, if you do this for me, then I know you love me. I he already knew. And so he didn't have to test God's love for him. So in those temptations, Jesus knew that the Father was his goal and that the Father was taking care of the fullness of those promises to be revealed. So what I want us to do tonight is to let the Father come and speak to us about his promises. If there are promises that he's spoken to you that didn't happen when you thought they would and so you let them go, or there were promises that you thought, okay, this is it, so I'm going to make it happen, and maybe you stepped ahead, like the younger son stepped out of the timing with your eyes off of the Father instead of looking at him, and you recognize that there are some things that happen. There's so much mercy and there's so much grace. Remember the response of the father when the younger son came. He scooped him up, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, and threw a party. This is a party night. This isn't a discouraging night. This is a party night. If you recognize as the father reveals to you some things that you thought, oh, this is it. This is when those dreams are going to be fulfilled. This is the promises. And it ended up being empty. He's ready to come, lift you up, put a ring on your finger. And if there are some things that you know that are coming and you can see them, that they're happening, but they're not right now, in that place, I want to invite you to know the Father. 
How can I know you in this place? How can I hold on to these promises in the not yet, but later, now? How does that work? I want to invite you into that journey of knowing the Father in that place. So I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to invite you to ask the Father these questions. Just ask him, Father, what are the promises? Maybe it's been a long time since you've thought of them, those dreams that seemed impossible. I want to tell you, they are. They are impossible. He gives us impossible dreams. Think about those things. Let him reveal that to you. Ask him, what are those promises? And just ask him how he sees you with those promises. So, Father, we thank you for your voice. We thank you for your goodness, that you're a good father and you have good gifts for your kids. And so we just come as little kids. God, remind us of the dreams that you dropped in our hearts, the dreams that we whispered, we didn't even dare to speak out loud. Remind us of those and reveal yourself, God, in that place.